Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. It's only shared that fasting is about distancing ourselves from the physical world and drawing us and, and drawing closer to God. You see, every step we take away from, uh, from the food or from our desires, and you know, it's not necessarily about what you fast, but it's about doing something that, that gives you a bit of pain because it's about separating yourself from that physical world for that spiritual gain. You know, why do we fast? Kath shared that Jesus fasted. It releases power. It changes the way we see. It dethrones King's stomach and brings healing to your body. It changes the way you see, but I think for a lot of cases, and, and me included, it changes the way you look. I think I've dropped a few kgs. Am I, anyone else in the same situation as me? Kath shared that your spirit becomes uncluttered by the things of this world and you become sensitive to the things of God. You know, as we remove distractions, as we put away our screens, as we put away Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, as we put our Netflix aside, as we put, a, put aside all of our TV screens, computer screens, as we put away food and all of the desires that come with that and we focus in on God, there's something special and there's something powerful that comes when we do that. And tonight we're going to look at prayer. You see, as you become more sensitive to the things of God, your prayers carry more power as they become more aligned with the will of God. You see, when you combine prayer and fasting, it can be like a one-two punch. Now, I've watched a bit of, uh, bit of MMA or, or what is it that we're calling it these days where the kids get in the octagon and they punch each other and just destroy each other. Dan Kerr, what am I talking about? UFC. Thank you, Dan. And they get in the octagon and, and one of them, they'll lead up and they'll punch with their left hand and that destabilises their opponent and they come through with their right hand and that right hand rook, hook is what knocks their opponent down. And that's what prayer and fasting can be like. The fasting destabilises your enemy and it destabilises the things of this earth and then you come around with a powerful prayer and it knocks that thing down. You see, prayer and fasting comes together. We can't have fasting without prayer. But prayer can sometimes be a confusing subject to talk about. What is it to pray? You know, do I need to speak in Latin? Do I need to speak in Old King James, O Lord, wherefore art thou? Do I need to light a candle? Do I need to get on my knees and lean against the bed and put my hands folded? You see, I don't think it's any of that. I mean, it is that, but it's all, it's all of that because prayer is simply communicating with God. You see, when you become a Christian and, and when you decide to become a Christ follower, it's, it's like entering into a relationship and you know, I remember back to when Sarah and I first met. I was roller skating backwards and Bonnie Tyler's was playing in the background. Just Now, I remember when Sarah and I first met and we first started dating and that was back in the day when mobile phones had just come out and Telstra had this plan and after nine o'clock you could ring another Telstra phone for 15 minutes for free, which was awesome. So we would ring up, we'd have to wait until after nine o'clock and I'd ring Sarah for 15 minutes and then at 15 minutes you'd hang up and then you'd ring back again and, you know, we did this, you know, for hours and hours. These are the things that you do when you first start in a relationship. The only problem happens when you lose track of time and all of a sudden it's 30 minutes, 40 minutes 
And who knows that they like to charge you by the hour, by the dollar. And oh my goodness, I had $300, $400 phone bills in a month. It's the price I pay for love. It was always me taking the hit on the uh, bills as well. Phone bills. <laughs> Every relationship is founded on communication. And prayer is simply communication with God. It's not as expensive as some of our mobile phone carriers are though. You see, this evening I want to look in the book of Luke. And Luke is one of the Gospels. If you flip open to the New Testament, it's the third book in. And we're going to look at chapter 11 tonight. And we're going to dissect this a little bit and see what can we learn from the book of Luke about prayer. You see, Luke is providing a narrative of Jesus' life and his times. And where we open up to in, the, in, the, in chapter 11, Jesus is making his way from Galilee in the north through to Jerusalem in the south. And as he's walking down that way, he's taking his time and he's teaching the disciples as he goes and he's teaching them about all sorts of things. But where we pick it up is where he starts talking about prayer. And it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. You see, that's a basic framework for prayer. And if you've been in any Christian circles for longer than five minutes, you would have picked up on the Lord's Prayer, especially if you went to a Catholic church or to a Lutheran school or, or more of a traditional church. You know, I can still remember my dad saying it, but saying it in the old King James. Can anyone say the Lord's Prayer in the old King James? It's a real Christian can say that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. But that's not the text we're going to focus on tonight. We're going to read on for the next few verses. And in verse 5, it says, Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Can you put yourself in this story? Are you the guy that's at home and all of a sudden an unexpected visitor rocks up at your door? That happens to us all the time. My parents travel down from Sojourner and they don't feel like they need to give us a heads up and they just rock up and are knocking on the door and it's like, oh, mum and dad, so good to see you. Is that you in this story? You know, you, it's the middle of the night. They never rock up at midnight. Thank you, Jesus. Because I wouldn't be answering the door. No, I would. My parents, I love them. The, per the person rocking up at midnight... Man, if someone knocked on my door at midnight, I would probably be hiding under the bed. See, I'm not as strong as Pastor Tony. I'm not as buff as him. You know, I act tough when Sarah says, I think I heard a noise outside. And I go, okay, I'll go outside and check. But secretly inside, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what if it's someone with a knife? <laughs> Where's my dad? 
you see, no one comes to our house at midnight anymore. And, and even if they did, and we were out of bread, and I would just duck down to the OTR and pick up a loaf for $10 or whatever they sell it for. <laughs> There's no way in the world that I would think about going to my neighbor's house, Chris, because partly because he's like 80 years old, I'd probably give him a heart attack if I knocked on the door and said, can I borrow three loaves of bread? I mean, who even knows their neighbours anymore? I live in a cul-de-sac and I know my neighbour to my right, Chris. I know him well because he's retired and he loves to talk. But my other neighbours, I don't really know them. I know that this person two doors down has a dog that barks and will chase me if I go near their house. I know that these guys down have a, have a nice car. They have a, a Lamborghini or something. But, you know, that's the thing. That's all I know about my neighbours. But you see, when you cast your mind back 2,000 years and we get the context of this story, it's the neighbours in that, in, in that village, they knew each other intimately and they grew up with each other. You see, in that day and age, they didn't have modern cars. They didn't have, you know, aeroplanes where they would travel everywhere, but they would just stay in their village. They may make one trip to Jerusalem on Donkey Express down to Jerusalem to visit the temple once in their life. But generally they stayed within a small radius and they got to know each other intimately. They got to know each other really well. And, and houses in that day weren't like we have them now. I mean, if you come to my house, we've got a beautiful three-bedroom house and everything's partitioned nicely and we've got a playroom out the back with all of you know, the kids' toys. But if you visit a house in 2000, uh, in, what is it, 0 BC, I guess, 2,000 years ago in Galilee, you know, it was just one big room. You know, all of the kids were in there sleeping together. All of the, the parents, all of the animals were all in sleeping together. So if you come around and you, someone's knocking on your door in the middle of the night, they're not just going to wake up you, but they're going to wake up the kids. Who wants their kids woken up in the middle of the night? Not me. They're going to wake up the donkey. Has anyone got a donkey in their house? No, no one with a donkey. You see, it was one big room and everyone was all sleeping in that room as well as the animals. And Jesus uses this story to illustrate the persistence of prayer. And I believe wholeheartedly that the best things in life, the things that give us most pleasure and most meaning are worth fighting for. The best things in life, finding the right husband or wife, having a great marriage, it's worth fighting for. Having great kids that will grow up uh, loving God and loving each other. I mean, loving each other is hard enough, but loving God as well, you know, that's worth fighting for. It's worth putting in the effort. It's worth persisting. Freedom from anxiety, from depression, from addictions, breakthrough in finances or in relational circumstances. It's all worth fighting for and it's all worth persisting for. You see, persistence doesn't just belong in the Bible. We see it all throughout life. You know, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. You know, one of the greatest basketball players that ever walked the face of the planet, aside from Dan McGaw, was cut from his high school basketball team. Colonel Sanders, creator of the uh, secret herbs and spices recipe, we all know his face, was told no 1,009 times. And he slept in his car until he was 80, until he was able to sell his recipe. It wasn't until he was 90 that he actually made any money. Nelson Mandela was in jail for 27 years. Dr. Seuss's first book was rejected by 27 publishers before being accept accepted. Persistence is a general rule of life. 
Persistence is something that requires us, if it's something that we really want, if it's something that we really desire, persistence is a rule of life that is going to take you fight. It's going to take you courage. It's going to take you stamina to keep going, to keep going until you get it. But even more so when it comes to the kingdom of God. You see, parents know the power of persistence. Just take your children to Woolworths, your four-year-old, five-year-old, take them to Woolworths and walk through the chocolate aisle. Mom, I want one of these. Mom, I want one of these. Mom, I want one of these. Mom, I want a, I want a timeout bar. What is it? Kinder Surprise. Bring them into the cafe and Jesse's got those snakes and the Kinder Surprises perfectly positioned so the kids can see them and the, the donuts. I want a donut. I want a donut. I want a donut. You're not having a donut. You're not having a donut. Just take a toddler anywhere and you'll understand the power of persistence. And in this short passage, Jesus is teaching us about the power of persistence. Not just giving it a go once, but coming back at it again and again and again and again until you see the breakthrough. You see, when it comes to our seven-day prayer and fast, I believe that there are some keys that we can take away from this passage of Scripture that will help us to make the most of this time. The first thing I see out of this, this, this passage of Scripture is that we've got a knock. You see, knock is a, is a doing word. It's, it's a verb and it implies that says, there's some sort of action required. It, you know, for this guy to have a visitor come in the middle of the night, it requires him getting out of bed in the middle of the night and going to his neighbour in the middle of the night when you at least want to be getting out of bed and knocking on that person's door. He says in verse 5, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Oh my goodness, there's nothing that I'm doing in midnight. In fact, my mum, as I grew up, would always said, nothing good happens after midnight. Did anyone else's mum tell them that? Nothing good happens after midnight. But it says in the book of James, which is written by Jesus' brother, it says, faith without works is dead. You see, God is drawn to movement. James goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 2, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. How many times do we desperately want something, but instead of doing the hard work, we take the easy option out? How many times have you been at home and saw the big pile of washing, or you've seen the pile of dishes, and you've recognised that they need to be cleaned or they need to be folded and put away, yet you sit on your couch and watch reruns of Gilmore Girls. Am I talking to anyone here tonight? You hear what I'm saying? You see, imagine sitting in a car and you're about to come to church and you're like, all right, kids, go jump in the car and you go and you sit in the car and you're sitting on the front seat and you're thinking, come on, why isn't the car taking us to church? Because... You haven't turned the key. And prayer is the key to the ignition of taking you where you want to go. You know, belief requires action. You see, the neighbour in our story could believe all he wants about his, about his friend that's living next door. He could believe that maybe he has a hundred loaves of bread that he could give him. He could believe that he's the nicest guy in the world. But until he actually go, gets out of bed in the middle of the night, goes next door and knocks on his door, he will never know if it's actually true. Because your belief requires action to prove that it's true. You know, if I want to see what you actually believe, I'll look at what 
You do. You see, your actions will show your belief system. And I believe that during this fast, God has laid plans on your life. He's put visions in your heart. He's put people's names in your heart and He's inspired you in ways that you couldn't be inspired normally. But those inspirations and those visions won't come about just by sitting on the couch and watching Netflix, although I wish they would, because I'm only halfway through season two of Gilmore Girls. (laughs) But it's not going to happen that way. It requires us to get up. It requires us to do something. It requires us to knock. It requires us to knock. Because unless we knock, unless we do something, the door won't be open. How are you going to know that someone's on the other side of the door unless you knock? See, the whole purpose of a knock is to attract someone's attention. The whole purpose of a knock is to get to the other side and say, I want to come in. Can you please open the door? But unless that person knows you're there by knocking, how are they going to know to open the door? You see, God has laid those plans in your heart and it's time to start knocking. God has laid people on your heart and it's time to start knocking. You see, it doesn't matter what God says or what the great things that He has for you in store are. Until you actually do something, it doesn't mean anything. You know, thinking about seeing my friends saved and, you know, I look to the, to the young guys down here at Tyndale or at Kings or at Parry Hills, you know, thinking about seeing my school reached and thinking about seeing my friends saved, unless we actually do something about it and put a bit of movement to that, nothing's going to happen. You know, I think about our workplaces and I think about for, for all of us that are getting up tomorrow morning to be at work at 9am, You know, unless we actually open our mouth and start saying something, nothing is going to happen. Faith without works is dead and fasting without prayer lacks a little something. So we need to start praying for what we're believing for. During this seven-day fast, we need to knock. But we also need to know where to knock. You see, this man knew his neighbour well. He knew which house to go to and he knew which door to knock on. It's not like our culture. You know, I shared before, I don't know who my neighbours are. I'm not going to go knocking on the guy with the dog's house for a loaf of bread, am I? I mean, I don't know who my neighbours are, but in this day they knew who to go to. You see, when it comes to going at home and the kids want something to eat and there's, there's treats that they want, the kids know who to go to. They know who the weak parent is, me. The kids always come to me and say, Dad, I saw the chocolate there. I got a box of roses for my birthday. Thank you guys for all your presents recently. I really appreciated it. We got a box of roses and Isla walked in and she saw the roses and straight away she comes up to me because she knows that I'm the pushover. I'm the easy one. Am I right, Ashley, Kathy, who's the pushover? No one, you're both stone, okay. Look at you guys, kids. You know who it is, don't you? You know who to go to. You know which parent to go to when you're looking for a bit of cash. They're doing meat packs at youth and you want to be able to get something to eat. You know which parent to knock on the door and get the $10 from that you need. And if this is true for us as parents, if this is true for us as kids, how much more so is this for God? You see, Luke chapter 11, it goes on to say in verse 11, you fathers... If your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? What type of father would do that? Who would catch a snake, first of all? What dad goes out of his way to catch a snake to give it to his kid as a prank? 
Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, sometimes we run everywhere but to the right person when we hit troubles. Financial troubles and we go straight to the bank for another loan or we go and increase our credit card limit. When we're having marriage problems, we go to our friends or to our family. When things aren't going well, we run everywhere but sometimes to the place that we need to go to the most. That first place, that first port of call always has to be God. How often do we hit a problem and run around trying to fix it and then bring it to God? How often do I see something at home and I think I'm Mr. Fix-It? I'll go and fix it myself and make it so much worse and then have to call a handyman, Luke Jackson, or someone to come and fix it for me. You see, James 1 verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Psalm 84 verse 11 says, No good, good thing does he withhold from those that walk uprightly. Psalm 34 verse 10 says, Those who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Banks, friends and family, they're all good and they're all appropriate places to go to for help when in trouble. But they can't be the first port in the storm. Our first port, our first response, the first place we go to every single time has to be God. You see, now is that time where I know that you're probably, as as I'm talking, you're probably thinking about things and that God's bringing things up in your heart and there may be you know, dreams that He's placed in your heart or there may be people that He's talking to you about and now is the time to bring them to Him. Now is the time to start knocking. Don't go everywhere else. Can you imagine this neighbour, if Jesus told this story and He said, suppose a friend came at midnight and so he went to get some bread and he knocked on the first door and there was no answer. So he knocked on the next door and there was no answer and he knocked on 10 doors but in the end he ended up going back to the one that he knew he could help him in the first place You know, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to go everywhere but God. Have you ever been shopping with a man or a woman? You know, as a guy, I love shopping. I don't really. I love having new clothes. I hate shopping. And if I go shopping with my wife, Sarah, see, Sarah loves shopping. Oh, my goodness. She loves shopping. Does she have any friends here tonight? I know there's more people than Sarah that just love shopping. But we go, that was pathetic. I know there's more people than that. I'm looking at you, Laura. Just joking. There's Sarah. Take, get, I go shopping with Sarah. We go to one shop. We go to two shops. We go to three shops. We go to four shops. We go to five shops. We go to six shops. And then as a guy, I say, all right, well, I like the one that I saw in the first shop. But if it was me just going shopping by myself, and Sarah hates it when I do this, I go into the first shop. I spend whatever I need to get whatever I want, and I'm out in about 15 minutes. And then I get home, and she goes, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you bought that. We go to, as, as men, we go in and we get out. Am, am I right, men? Do, is it, or is it, am I just talking to myself here? We go in, we get what we want, we get out, but there's women love it. Andre's with me, thank you. So during this seven-day fast, we need to knock. We need to know where to knock. And we need to knock purposefully. Luke 11 verse 5 says, Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You see, this guy knew exactly what he wanted. He knew before he went to his friend's house, he knew exactly what he wanted. His wife probably gave him a little list there, three loaves of bread, a punnet of strawberries, you know, an avocado, check to make sure it's ripe. He knew exactly what he wanted. But sometimes we can be a little bit lazy with our prayers and we can say, you know, just God bless me. 
I pray, Lord God, that you bless me in my work. I pray, Father, you bless my family. Sometimes we can be a little bit lazy and just fall back on our Christianese language rather than saying, I, I pray for my daughter Isla. I pray that she would grow up strong, Lord God. I pray that she would grow to have an intimate knowledge of you and being specific with the things that we're asking for. You see, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, tells the story of a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. See, Bartimaeus was a blind beggar and, and he was someone that was begging for his whole life. He couldn't see, he couldn't work, so the only way he could make money was to, was to beg. And we pick it up in verse 46 and it says, Then they reached Jericho. And Jericho, this is Jesus and his disciples, and they left the town and his disciples left town. A large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. And when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when Jesus heard him, he stopped and he said, Tell him to come here. So they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. What do you want for me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has made you well. Instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. You see, Bartimaeus was clued into the fact that Jesus was travelling through Jericho and he could hear the crowd and he could hear the emotion and he could hear everything that was going on, but he couldn't see what was happening. And he yelled out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. Can you imagine if Jesus said, all right, come to me, blind Bartimaeus, I want to talk to you. And Jesus says to blind Bartimaeus, what is it that you want? And he says, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me. You see, blind Bartimaeus knew exactly what he wanted. He knew exactly what it was that he wanted and he wanted to be able to see. You see, he had years to think about. He had years to shape that question. And it reminds me of our prayers. You know, Jesus, bless me. Jesus, heal me. But let me tell you tonight, as you've been fasting, you've arrested the attention of heaven and Jesus is here with us and He wants to hear what it is that you're asking for. He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear your specific requests from Him. Jesus is standing there saying, what is it that you want me to do for you? He's asked that question of blind Bartimaeus and He's asking that question of us tonight. He wants us to knock purposefully. Sometimes we're banging on the door crying out to Jesus, we've gone to the right person. We know who to go to. We're knocking, but we don't know what we want. And therefore, we're not specific with our requests. You know, we're all going through the Feb fast at the moment. And a lot of us have fasted from some type of food. And, you know, it's amazing that when you get really hungry, well, for me, it happens anyway, I get really hungry. My, my thoughts get really specific about what it is that I want to eat. You see, when I get really hungry, and at the moment, as I'm thinking about it, the thing that I want to eat the most is an egg and bacon roll from the coffee baron. Very specific. See, the hungrier I get, the more specific I become with what I want. And it's the same with our spiritual life. The hungrier we get for something, the hungrier we get for the move of God in our school, the hungrier we get, the more specific we get, the more specific we get, the more we knock, the more we get answers. You see, when I'm not hungry, I'll eat anything. When I'm not hungry, Sarah says to me, what is it that you want to eat for tea? And I was like, oh, whatever, you know, whatever you're having, I'll have some of that. But when I'm really hungry, I get home, I know exactly what I want. 
The hungrier I get, the more specific I am with the request. How hungry are you? What is it you are fasting and praying for in this fast? And can I challenge you to be specific? Write it down and keep coming back to it. Now lastly, as the band comes, I believe we need to knock shamelessly. You see, we're an instant generation and we're used to things coming instantly. We're used to our Instagram. We're used to buying things online and it being delivered. We're used to iTunes. We don't even have to go out and buy movies or CDs anymore. I once uh, I met a guy a few weeks ago and he's still going to a uh, DVD store. Oh my goodness. Does anyone remember those? A DVD store. We used to write letters and now we email. We used to drive everywhere, now we fly. We used to save up and now we get instant loans for our furniture or our cars or our houses. We used to watch things week to week. I used to remember Tuesday night was Blue Healers night. Every Tuesday night. And now we get Netflix and we sit there and binge watch a whole season in a couple of days. We don't know what it is to fight for what we believe anymore. You see, a hundred years ago during World War I, there were 17 and 18-year-old men and women going off to war to fight for what they believed in. In World War II, in Korea, Vietnam, there were young people that were standing up for a cause and fighting and dying for it. You know, all of the disciples, as we read through history, we learned that they actually fought so hard for what they believed in that they ended up being killed for what they believed in. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Andrew was crucified, Thomas was speared, Matthew was stabbed, James, the brother of Christ, was clubbed to death, Matthias was burnt. You see, we get used to this comfortable Christianity and we forget that sometimes we actually need to fight for what we believe in. We need to fight for our marriage. We need to fight for our jobs. We need to fight for the things of God for our children's lives. You see, Christians are fighting in Iraq and in Syria at this very point in time for their existence. You know, and sometimes we walk out into the cafe and we get a flat white instead of a latte and oh my goodness, my world has imploded. They're actually exactly the same. <laughs> Luke 11 verse 8 says, But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, He will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You see, we can let shame get in the way of us pursuing the things of God. We can let our embarrassment or our discomfort get in the way of our breakthrough. But shameless persistence is rewarded by an open door. You see, when it comes to the middle of the night and this guy's got a stranger in his house and he's knocking on the door, he wasn't knocking just once politely. He wasn't just knocking twice politely. But he was knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking. And it says in this scripture in Luke 11 verse 5, even if he wasn't his friend, he would still do it just to shut him up. Relentless persistence, shameless persistence, knocking and keep going and keep moving and keep moving forward. My tummy hurts, my head hurts, I'm struggling from a lack of caffeine but I'm still going to keep going. I'm still going to keep putting one foot forward in front of the other. Shameless persistence. 
You see, what if Noah half built the ark and then as it started getting a bit bigger, he started to get a little bit embarrassed about the building that he was making? What if Moses, after leading the people of Israel for a couple of years in the wilderness, felt a bit uncomfortable and decided to go back to Egypt? What if Jesus, on the night of the Last Supper, went home and got distracted binge-watching season four of Brooklyn Nine-Nine on Netflix and forgot all about the cross part? You see, if we go back a couple of chapters in Luke chapter nine, it says, Jesus steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. He threw off his disciples that were saying, don't go to Jerusalem. He threw off the shame. He threw off the fact that he knew what was coming and he steadfastly set his face towards Jerusalem. And tonight, it's for us to throw off our shame, to throw off our embarrassment, to throw off our discomfort. Don't let those things rob you of your breakthrough. You see, your breakthrough is just around the corner. If you keep shamelessly persisting, if you keep shamelessly knocking. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 